Thanks for tuning in to the Sojourn Church Podcast. We are a church committed to the gospel in the context of family, living on mission to the city of Portland and our world. For more information, visit our website, sojournpdx.org. Have you ever taken time to think of your ideal or your dream church? A church where you feel completely understood, where, where your passions and your values are valued, where, where you're, you are able to flourish with the areas of life that you are most gifted. A church that you always be proud and never embarrassed to invite somebody to. A church where all your non-Christians, family, and friends, when they show up, they actually never want to leave because they enjoyed it so much. We live in an age where our minds have been conditioned to think of the ideal and the dream scenario. And we treat all of life this way, including when it comes to the church. If someone annoys us on social media, what do we do? We unfollow them or we block them. We start a movie and it's boring. You simply remove it from your list and you start another movie. We create Spotify playlists to only listen to the music that we want to hear. Brett McCracken said, consumerism is about unlimited choice and unlimited speed. We choose exactly what we want, take only what we want from it, and we move on. Unfortunately, this mindset has infiltrated the way that we do church. We treat church now as a thing that we can design according to our checklist or our preferences. And when I say we, I'm meaning in our culture uh, broadly in the United States, kind of the Western, Western mentality. So if a church stops catering to our desires or makes us uncomfortable, Maybe I preach something from the Bible that you disagree with. Maybe our worship music isn't your preference. Or someone raises both arms during worship. You can simply move on. Because even in an unchurched city like ours, there are still other options. But if we approach church this way, if this is our framework and how we approach church, we'll never commit anywhere. But church shouldn't be, uh, should not be about being perfectly understood. Church shouldn't be about where am I in my 100% comfort zone all of the time. It should be about understanding God more and meeting God where he is. Charles Spurgeon said this one time. If I had never joined a church till I found one that was perfect, I should have never joined one at all. And the moment I did join it, if I had found one, I should have spoiled it. For it would not have been a perfect church after I had become a member of it. Still, imperfect as it is, it is the dearest place on earth to us. Often what we think we want from church is almost never what we actually need. Because God's idea of church is far more glorious than what we could ever dream of. It, it, it way surpasses our ideal dream church. You see, it's not about us finding a church that we can dream up that fits all of our preferences. Now, I'm going to let you know a little secret because you might think, well, Matt, you moved here to start this church, so it's probably exactly how you want. It's not. There's many, many things that, that we're either not there yet as part of a vision or that I just don't have control over. Um, you know, I, I'm thankful for this building, but this wouldn't be my preference. would be something that looks more like beige chicken. For those of you who wanted beige chicken last week, like more modern and aesthetics would be like really cool and not... This old carpet and these brown curtains. Like, there's things that I would do differently. But I don't necessarily get that. It's not about me. It's not about you. But it's about what, what 
First uh, Peter tells us, if you remember back our series about becoming living stones who are being built up as a spiritual house. So 1 Peter 2, 4 through 7, it says this. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. To be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. We are living in a unique time in Western culture, especially our our contemporary American society, a time in which social scientists call radical individualism. And this is being lived out by believing that our dreams, our goals, and our personal fulfillment ought to take precedence over the well-being of any group. That can be our our church, that can be our family, any group. That everything about us takes, takes preference over that. That our immediate needs are more important than any group that we're part of. And if things get tough or challenging, we just leave or withdraw. Right? I mean, even, even think about like Spotify, right? That's what I use, make playlists. If, if Spotify does something you don't like, you just leave them and go to Apple Music. And Apple Music, leave them and go to Pandora. And then Pandora, go to Amazon, right? And YouTube, and then it's all these options. And we do it with streaming, all these things. But it, it's crept into the way that we do life now for everything. Our culture has powerfully socialized us. I want us to think about that, that we are being socialized, that we are being kind of wired and trained by our culture. This is totally a separate note, but I saw one pastor say that the reason we should talk about the controversial issues in church is because everywhere else in society they're talking about them. And if we're not talking about them in training and equipping and looking at things to a biblical worldview, then our people, us collectively, are being shaped by the society around us. So our culture has powerfully socialized us to believe that our personal happiness and fulfillment should take precedence over the connections we have with others. But if you study history, nearly all other societies and many still are this way, they're collectivist in their worldview. It's only kind of a more modern recent phenomenon that it's all about me. It's all about numero uno. If you travel the world and go to other countries, you will experience this. You will get to to see this. And the world in which Jesus lived and the world in which his first followers lived was distinctly a strong group culture in which the health of the group took precedence over the individual needs. The health of the group is what received first priority. And sometimes when you, when, you, when you hear this phrase, like, take up your cross and follow Jesus, and you hear that, but that, that really went so deep that it was helping care for my brother and my sister over sometimes my own needs. And that's just not the way that we're wired in our country. So we're in the middle of our vision and value series, and this week we're looking at our second value of church as family. Now, I go through different seasons, and I hesitate to say this because you can't have any of this without the gospel. That's why we start there. But I would say right now I'm in a season where I'm probably most passionate about this, about church as family. And to be transparent, I know many of you have not been with us since back in 2019, but towards the end of 2019, I think I was about to give up on this value. Uh, There were some challenges, and I said, it's just not worth it. You just can't make this happen. But then, fast forward to 2022, and if you remember our first Sunday of this year, we had a couple of people stand up here and give testimony to man, we're really families to each other. 
And I think 2022, and I know there's some gaps in there. You're going, what happened to those other years? I was figuring it out. I think 2022, it was like, man, this has been redeemed. That we can actually recapture uh, a picture of the early church, the New Testament, and what it means to be church as family. And so that's what we're going to look at this week. And I want to tell you in the front end, my message is going to look a little bit different in a couple of ways. One is I'm not expositing one text. I'm not picking a text and saying, here, I'm going to go in and explain this and point to why this is how we should live this way. In other words, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to reference numerous texts. And so usually I'd say, open your Bibles. Uh, this week I'm going to say, hey, relax. Or if you're taking notes, write it down. There is, I don't know, probably 10 to 12 scriptures. And so uh, we just have a bunch that I'm going to hit. And, and hopefully it reinforces this idea as church is family. Now, if you want to hear messages, I've preached four or five over the last several years. They're all on our podcast or our website. I can send them to you, but felt like you'd be better served uh, to do it this way this time. And so it's a little bit more of a a teaching and a talk uh, with a message, but using scripture to point to this reality. Uh, Second is I'm indebted to Joseph Hellerman, who wrote a book called When Church Was Family. I highly, highly recommend that book. Add it to your list. If you do read it, you might say, man, Matt ripped off a lot of stuff from Joseph Hellerman. You will hear him quoted a few times throughout this, um, but he did uh, the research and the legwork and and put all of this together in a book that's just phenomenal to point to this reality. When I read it uh, towards the end of last year, I was like, I'm reading my thoughts from the last several years. I'm reading why family is our value at Sojourn. He's just much better at articulating what it is I'm going after. Uh, so let me pray for us, and then we'll, we'll, we'll get into this idea of church as family. God, we come to you this morning as a church body. Imperfect as we are, God, we, we come to you to look more like you. God, to learn from you. God, we started out last week looking at the gospel or this message of this good news. God, I help, ask that you help us this morning make the connection of how our salvation and our involvement in your community, what we call the church, how they go together. And God, how they're really interconnected. Speak to us this morning. Use me in your name. Amen. Now, the New Testament picture of church as family, it flies in the face of our individualistic culture. But Jesus reframes our understanding of family by saying this. He says, whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and my sister and my mother. You see, God has graciously invited us into his family, this family of love. And he calls all believers, if I'm a believer, I follow Jesus, he calls us to live an interdependent relationships of love with one another, that we're designed to to need one another. And so we celebrate what the Father of God is doing by opening our lives and homes to one another. I've seen that happen more over the last year than I ever have previously sojourned, by bearing one another's burdens, right? Those those issues of life that we're dealing with. I think sometimes we feel bad. We don't want to come to one another and say, I'm the one struggling and this is happening in my life. Like, no, in some like it encourages me, strange as that sounds, not that you're going through the burden, but it encourages me when we see the church get to come together to help take care of those burdens. And then we are to speak the truth in love as we attain to maturity in Christ. None of us have arrived. None of us are mature, but we are attaining to that together. And in the Bible, we find a God who is a, seems at least as concerned with his group, us in relationship with one another, as he is with the individual, me in relationship with him. So you're going to hear a lot of this like group talk and, and individual talk. And the reason is, The church as a whole has done a disservice. We focus so much on our personal relationship with God, which is part of it, but we've we've stopped there. It's like this this with God and read your Bible, have your time with God, but we don't really find this in the New Testament. We find it as a collective unit, as a group. And so hopefully we'll unpack that a little bit. And so 
What we'll see is that God's vision for community, as reflected in his early followers, kind of the, the early church, it offers this powerful antidote to the relational ills that characterize the lives of modern Christians and modern Christianity. And so as you study the life of Jesus, you'll discover there's this radical call to join God's family. Mark 1, verses 14 through 20, here behind me, says this. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. Do you see that? Immediately Jesus called them. They're busy about their business. And immediately they left and followed him. And going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. What we see throughout the New Testament is this theme, that when you, when you leave and follow Jesus, you're exchanging one family for another, and it's at the heart of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Now, does this mean that we sever all of our biological family ties? Like, you're sitting there thinking, like, am I supposed to say, hey, I can't be in a relationship with you any longer? No. In most cases, especially for us, that's not what this means. We're going to look at at Peter here in a minute. Peter's an example of this. He continues that relationship. But at times, and and in many other countries, I was talking with Ben before the service. They went to this mission emphasis this weekend that happened in our city. There are other countries, especially uh, what we call persecuted areas, where this is what that means. And oftentimes it's because they get kicked out of their family. But the, but the loyalty and, and presence to God's family takes place. And that they sacrifice, say, I'm, I'm literally losing everything in order to follow the God of the Bible. Mark 10, 28 through 30. says, Peter began to say to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands, but persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. So Jesus is saying, look, you may leave everything. That may be your reality, or it may feel like it, or you may lose up on, on some relationships, but I promise you, you will receive a hundredfold now in this time. And God's saying, you may lose that, but you're receiving all these brothers and sisters all around the globe and that you will receive eternal life in the age to come. And so the question is not whether do you need to, to leave or sever ties with your family, your biological family, that is. The question is where does your loyalty lie if it did come to that reality? Joseph Hellerman, he said, Jesus did not simply intend his followers to substitute a personal commitment to him for ties of blood family loyalty. He intended for them to exchange their loyalty to, to one family for Unswerving loyalty to another, the family of God. Something we easily miss in our day and age that the early church did not was that we we try to separate loyalty to God and loyalty to one another. In our radical individualism, we are somehow convinced that we can actually separate the two, that we can have loyalty to God, and then then this over here is kind of an, an option. Maybe we will, maybe we won't. And as a result, our priorities often sound like this. Well, here's how they used to sound. Here's how I think our priorities sounded 
um, let's just speak broadly, when, whenever I was uh, younger, meaning like growing up, it was, uh, and I can, I can remember even hearing my own family say this, like, who, who's our priority? We say, first is God, then family, then church, then others. And that sounds pretty good to most of us. I think we're like, yeah, that, that sounds right. Although I would say in our culture, it probably sounds more like us, others, family, then church. Like church is this kind of add-on to it, right? Like if I find the time, you know, everything else is going to stack up before it is. The problem, however, is that the early Christians did not find their loyalty to God based on their individual commitment to God or to the church. They found their loyalty to God by... And they're loyal to God's group by collectively looking at God their Father. And so if we return to the New Testament, which is what we've always, I said, look, this is what we're going after. If we want to return to the New Testament form of church, then our relationships and priorities should look more like this. God's family, my family, others. Now in the New Testament, family serves as the primary locus of relational loyalty. And those who follow Jesus were exercise primary allegiance to a new family. Jesus modeled this for us in Mark 3, 35. It says, forever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. This was Jesus' vision of an authentic community. And as a result, the early Christians lived out church as family as God intended. Millions of people had genuine encounters with the Lord and the world will never be the same because they lived out this reality. They didn't just go on their own way. They didn't just say it's just about me and God. They said it's about us collectively, and we want, to, we want to gather others into this reality. The Apostle Paul, the greatest church-planting missionary of all time, who wrote most of the New Testament, he used uh, family imagery all throughout his writings. I'm just going to give us a sample of it. Here's four examples. The first is he would, you would see effective solidarity, that Paul had this emotional bond and he experienced with the siblings in God's family. Just one example is 1 Corinthians 16, 20. It says, all the brothers and sisters greet you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Second is family unity. We see this interpersonal harmony that Paul expected among those in God's family. So Paul kind of expects this. Ephesians 4, 3 through 6. He says, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Third is there's this material solidarity. We see this idea of sharing resources and providing for those in need. This was an assumption in God's family. I don't, the way that I read it is like, they just have to go out and say, we need this to do this fundraiser. Like, there's a need and assume that we're going to provide for the need. 2 Corinthians 8, 13 through 15. For I do not mean that the others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need, so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. And then the fourth example from Paul is family loyalty. We see this undivided commitment to the church family. 1 Corinthians 7, 12-15. To the rest I say, I, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman who has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. 
Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. But the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. These values being presented in the churches Paul planted, what they're doing is reflecting Jesus' model of Christian community as family. And we see that Paul addressed issues of his day. If you know much about Paul, I mean, we've studied quite a few books that he's written. And he addresses these, and, and he addresses, they're still existent in our day. Essentially what he says is that Christ, through Christ, when you enter God's family, that the societal issues of race and your class no longer matter. That, 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 that we're all made equal, and that we all have an equal opportunity to be entered into God's family. And so how do we do this at Sojourn? If you go on our website, it's been there for years now. We do this at Sojourn by extending an invitation to those around us, regardless of race, gender, socioeconomic status, or culture, to join us by experiencing the freedom and family at the table of Jesus. Because Jesus has set the table. Jesus has extended the invitation. And that none of us have a leg up on anyone else. That all are welcome to come as you are. Galatians 3, 26 and 28 says, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male or and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So clearly for Jesus, clearly for Paul, the church is family. Joseph Hellerman says the first followers of Jesus conceived of loyalty to God primarily in terms of loyalty to God's root. So, so in other words, what he's saying is the early church would say, how do you know that you're, you're uh, you know, following Christ faithfully? Or how do you know that you're a good Christian? We don't use that term that's so German. You kind of hear that, right? I remember growing up, like, oh, you're having your quiet time? Are you doing this? Their number one, like the way that they would have based this would have been like, how committed are you to God's family? And so to be committed to God was to be committed to his family. And Luke 18, 29 30, it says, and he said to them, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. One of the negative effects of the church in our culture, I already hit on this, is that we have separated the vertical and horizontal dimensions of our relational lives when it comes to salvation in Christian community. And this is costing us dearly in the U.S. When, when people say, why, why do we see the church diminishing? Why are young people leaving church? I believe this is one of the number one reasons. One is they haven't been discipled, but they also haven't been discipled in church as family. Right? Um, Siri's going to try to answer the rest of this for me. <laughs> you know, I talked about the vision, our ideal church, right? There's things that, that, that we want, right? We're growing, and how do we minister to our kids? But at the same time, I always want us to integrate our kids as much as possible. Because kids, kids in the room, you're not the church of the future. You're the church of today. You're just as much part of this as I am and anybody else. Now, so I think it's costing us dearly that we've separated this so much, right? I've got friends, left or I've got so many peers. I've got friends who moved here to, to start churches who now want nothing to do with the church, but they'd say, me and God are fine. And I'm like, I really struggle with that, brother, because I don't see that in the New Testament. And it's not a judgmental way, it's a loving way to say, I, I just don't see it. I understand your experience was bad. I saw someone yesterday, Rebecca McLaughlin, she, she put on um, Twitter, someone Andre and I both enjoy reading and listening to. And 
she was just saying, hey, look, I encourage you. I know it's the weekend. It's hard to get up sometimes on Sunday, but like prioritize being part of your gathering tomorrow. And people were saying, well, what if the gospel is not preached in my church? She's like, then it's not a church. Find a different church. You know, what, what if it's all political and it's all about Christian nationalism? Once again, find a different church. Like find a church. But once you find it, stick there and go deep that we need one another. It's not uncommon to, to encounter these people who claim to follow Jesus but who remain unconnected to a local faith community. But here's the thing. And here's the challenge. Correct me if I'm wrong. <laughs> go out this week and correct me if I'm wrong. But we don't find an unchurched Christian in the New Testament. I'll go ahead and give you the one you're going to find. The thief on the cross next to Jesus. Right? Who gives his life to Jesus and says, I remember you, right? So he didn't have time to go join a local body and be part of that. But he got to be with the saints in heaven like almost immediately. We don't find an unchurched Christian in the New Testament. And Paul made it clear that getting saved and becoming a member of the people of God are inseparable. They're simultaneous events, right? That's why we, we typically, especially because we don't live in a persecuted area, we like to do baptisms like together. I, I don't go to your house and say, let's baptize you here. Or let's just make this a really private event and no one sees it. We want it to be public. We want us all to be together because it's a family celebration. In 1 Corinthians 12, 12 and 13, for just as the body is one as many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one in body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink one spirit. And so a person was never saved for the sole purpose of a personal relationship with God. In fact, I, I'm at the point where I almost wish we quit using some of that, that terminology. And as important as that may be, right, we want to make sure you do have that vertical relationship with God. So don't, don't mishear that. According to the New Testament, a person is saved to community. So it's, how's your relationship going with God? It's, how's your relationship going with God and his community, his bride? How is that relationship going? Because to follow Jesus, it meant to join Jesus' community. The thought that someone could somehow acquire a personal relationship with God, void outside the family of God, and remain unchurched was simply inconceivable. Like, that's not a thought that would have even crossed their mind. And why we've allowed that, why we've accepted that in our culture, I don't know. As you can tell, I'm fighting against that, actively fighting against that mentality. Not because, man, Matt wants it a different way, but as I'm just studying going, that's just not how I see it. It's just not there. Our culture focuses on us as individuals and what God has done for me as an individual. But God's plan is for each individual to be saved to a family of, of, of God by an act of personal repentance and faith and atoning work of Jesus, but that it's a communal event. And so we're not only saved to enjoy just our relationship with God, we're saved to a community. We're saved to God's group. And we get one another. That should be good news too. That, that I'm not doing it alone, right? Because if you've tried to follow God on your own, it's really, really hard. When you personalize it, individualize it, it's tough. It's tough as is, but when you realize, man, I've got some others, like, oh, I can fall backwards. I'm struggling. Man, we put our arms around. We can figure things out together. Man, God, you've provided yourself. That's enough. You've provided the Holy Spirit. Now you've provided me siblings. You've provided me people to do this with. I play basketball on Thursday nights, and although I'm not great, it helps that I'm playing with some really good shooters. Like, my teams actually win sometimes. But imagine if I went out, and, and somebody here's played me before. Imagine I went out and tried to play all five people on my own. I'm already bad enough by my, like when I'm on the team, so it'd be really, really bad. Like There's no way I could do it. And that's what it, would, it can feel like, right? If we're just trying to, man, God, I'm trying to follow you. I just can't do this. God, I'm just done, and I'm going to walk away. 
It's like, you never were meant to do it that way. They've been given a family to do this together, to make it to where we can have, you know, we're going to have some, some challenges, but we can have some wins. We, we praise God. And God remains faithful to us. He's constant through it all. Acts 2, 38-41 says this. And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his words were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. It has become increasingly more difficult to see church's family lived out. You know, I think the church as a whole, if I was going to give constructive criticism, is we've kind of turned it into a business, and we just operate the way that every other area of culture and society operates. I saw a video this week, and it was some uh, digital pastor. I struggle with that term, but he was saying, look, like your people... They want to be streaming, and if you're not going to stream it, then they're going to stream, you know, the best people, uh, you know, in, in the country. I'm like, they're going to probably do that anyway, right? But he was kind of advocating for, like, maybe you don't try to gather that often. You just do everything online, and, and, and you do it this way. And, you're just kidding. and I get there's, there's contextualization, right? We put things on a video, and we do a podcast in some of those areas. But I think we buy into the culture's view and the way, the way that we do life in, in, in church. It's, it's the idea of being a Christian is countercultural. You know, we have this idea of being countercultural, counterintuitive. That's what we're called. That's the life we're called to. Doing church as family is also countercultural. It's, it's, it's counterintuitive. It's going against business as normal. But it's getting increasingly more difficult. But we need church as family in order to grow in our relationship with God. And to do that within the context of family. You know, I think about family, and I may have this somewhere later in my manuscript, but I think most of us value our families, right? I think one of the challenges, and this is the one I want to be the most sensitive to, depending on your own biological family, good experience, you might go, yeah, I love the idea of church as family. Bad experience, you might go, whoa, roadblock, I'm taking care of me, I can do this. So I get that, I want to be sensitive to that. But let's walk you through that. We want to recapture a holistic view of what it means to be church as family. But, but imagine, we just came out of the holidays, right? Think about, about holiday meals, Thanksgiving, Christmas, right? And, and you get to, be with your, get to be with your family. And many of you, from what I know, you want to be with your family. But what if year after year, it was just like, no, I'm good. I'm not there. You're absent, right? You're missed. There's something, there's something missing there. And so even when you're part of a, a local church family, you rob the family of your gifts, of how God's wired you, what you to give the family when you're not part of the rhythms of your church family. And that there's a void there. That's hard for us to be built up together to Christ when we are separated ourselves, if that makes sense. That we, that we, we, we remove ourselves from the equation and so that's why it's not about coming. I know you hear from a pastor and you think, no, they just want me to show up on Sundays. Or they want me to show up on Wednesdays or something else. It's not that. And that's where I'm like, if I could put a chip into all of your brains. So I encourage people to do I say, whatever rhythms of your church has. Right? I went to a church for a season. I told you before, uh, Andrea and I first got married, Sunday morning, Sunday night. I'll be honest, I wanted to watch football on Sunday nights. And so a lot of times I skipped. 
Okay? But now in the back, I look forward, I'm like, look, whatever your church is, if that's your church family, be as involved as you're able to be in the rhythm of that. It's not about just showing up here. This is part of it. This is and they gather. But it's about being all together holistically. And so you might not be convinced yet. And after that, I say, that's okay. But I promise it's in your best interest to stay. It's in your best interest to join the family and to stick around. I think about Ben and Julia. Uh, they're new to one another's families. Okay? They love each other, but there might be aspects of their new family they're not so sure about. They're not so convinced. They want to spend all their holidays with these people, which is why they're going overseas. Just a joke. <laughs> but they need to give it some time, right? Let's figure this out as a couple and as a family. What it's like to be part of this family for Thanksgiving. What it's like to do the Christmas norms and traditions and, and those types of things. And so stick it out. I promise you it's in your best interest. And so the culture, including church culture, will tempt you to return to church as an individualized thing. That it's a private practice. But the good news is that the gospel of Jesus has always contained this inherent power to victoriously resist the trends of the dominant culture. So although the dominant culture is going to say, look, it's just you and Jesus and focus on that. Jesus through the gospel, has given us this power to push back against that, to say, you know what, it is me and Jesus, but it's also me, Jesus, and my family, my siblings. And once you come to Christ, that yes, you gain a new father. And so whatever relationship like is with your earthly father, and I know that may not be great with all of you, you gain a perfect father, perfect picture that you, more than you can even picture, you gain that. But it doesn't stop there. You also gain a whole new family. So when I see people in our city, our city, man, above all else, I, I got a message from a guy yesterday. I'm struggling. I'm lonely. I'm depressed. I don't have community. And I'm like, brother, <laughs> come go find a church. And I always say, I don't care if it's my church. It can be. Because that's not going to necessarily fix that immediately, but it's going to help provide some of that, some of that community, some of that camaraderie that you need so you don't feel that isolation, that you're alone. Be transparent again. Like, I had a day this week where I was feeling lonely. Very lonely. And that, that's rare. But I was like, you know, but at least on Sunday, I know I'm going to get to see my brothers and sisters. I get to rub shoulders. I get to be in community. I get to be in relationship with one another. First John 3, 1 says, Look at how great a love the Father has given us, that we should be God, called God's children. And we are. We are God's children. His beloved and Jesus established his followers as a faith family. If you look at the early church, early Christians, the way they relate to one another is how God intended it to be. And Jesus' radical call to discipleship is not simply a challenge to prioritize loyalty to Jesus and to individual over loyalty to one's family. A disciple in some ways must choose between two families, their natural family and the newly formed family of you know, there's some passages, I don't think I hit on these today, um, about hating your, your brother, your sister, your father, your mother. And you hear that, Jesus hate. It's not hate in the terms that we think, but it's, it's basically when loyalty, once again, when it comes down to it, that you're following God above all else. And then, and then your family, once again, I don't think any of us experienced this, but when I lived in South Asia, I knew people, right? And it was like, if I'm going to follow Jesus, if I'm going to follow the Jesus of the Bible, I'm told I can no longer be part of my family. And so I either denounce my faith in Jesus and, and walk away from this as not being truth and get to return and have my relationship with my biological family, to have the holidays, or I say, you know what, Jesus, you're worth it all. And I watch people do that. But I think in our culture, and I'm not saying I wish it was that way, but it's, it's much easier for us not to count the true cost of what those passages mean. 
Because most of us, if any of us, are ever really faced with that reality. We still get to have relationships with our family. We're just the weird one at, at Thanksgiving who wants to say a prayer before our meal. Or the weird one who might be saying, hey, Sunday I'm actually going to be doing this. But I think sometimes if we can walk in the shoes of our brothers and sisters in other parts of the world, we might understand this a little bit better. What this commitment means. What, what the call to follow Jesus actually, like, what does it mean to actually count the cost? So for the, early, for the early Christians, the church was family. In word and deed, God was the father of the community. Christians were brothers and sisters, and the group came first over their own aspirations and desires. So what does this mean for us as sojourn? Right, Matt, you've ran it on for half an hour. What does it mean for us to be church as family? That we're not simply saved to enjoy a personal relationship with God. As much as we want that, right? I'm hoping, right? We saw Felash. I want to see more people give their lives over to Christ. But just as much of that, we're saved to community. And there's no room in biblical Christianity for an unchurched Christian. And so when you become a follower of Jesus, the family of God is to take first priority in your life. And we're to live out the one another's of the New Testament. I can't remember how many one another's there are, but there's a lot. Forgive one another, love one another, serve one another. There's always one another's. That's what it means to be church's family, that we live out these one another's. Joseph Hellerman says, the family of God is the place where I join together in community with my siblings in the faith in order to engage in God's great missional adventure of world evangelization. You know, our values, gospel, family, mission, it all goes together, right? We start with the gospel. We never graduate beyond the gospel. We do it as a family. And then even when we get on mission, it's like we do that together. And the family of God is a place where I lose my life in order to gain it. And somehow, against all odds, Christianity prevailed. How'd they do it? According to Acts 4, 32-35, this is how they did it. It says, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were given their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as, were, for as many were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. I'm not sure if I'm going to use this text next week or not, but I know I've used it before or in a couple weeks during this series. But, I mean, think about it. They had everything in common. Nobody had need. Those who had excess, they sold it or sacrificed so that those who maybe would have a need wouldn't have a need. And I've said this for, for years now. If you see that type of community, you see that type of church lived out, I don't know anyone who wouldn't at least be curious. They wouldn't at least pique their interest to go, none of those people have need? How, how are your needs always provided for? How have you never missed a payment on this? How have you always been? Because we all come together because we're a family and we take care of one another. And so the early church did this by living out family values and behaviors that, that characterized the first Christian churches. They were known for their love for one another. And so, yes, we want to be known for our love for God, but we want to be known for our love for one another. As a result, the early Christians turned the world upside down because when the church was family, the church was on fire. It was contagious. Right? We know what wildfires are. We, they keep coming north from California, unfortunately, and they're hitting Oregon as well, right? Something catches fire in the summer, and it, it just spreads like wildfire. 
And the church was on fire when the church was family. And so when I think about our, our neighborhood, as I look out the window and see people walking in our community, in our city, I think, how are we, we going to see them reached? How are we going to see people join that invitation of join this journey learning what it needs to follow Jesus? It's as we live as church as family. It's as we live by loving God and loving one another. And that it's going to spread like wildfire to those around us. Because I guarantee that every single one of us has a person or multiple people in our lives, whether it's at work, at home, our neighborhood, our hobbies, who we know, one, who need this message, but who also probably are interested in this message. Who might say, you know what? This is the kind of community that I'm looking for. I haven't been able to locate it or find it. Because here's the reality. In our culture, in this day and age, people aren't going to come look for it at church. For some of the reasons that I've already named. Because they don't think of this as church. So it's not only that we have to uh, proclaim and preach them a different way. We actually have to show them a different way. And so as we start to live that out, that those around us will see, take note, and then will want to join in. So sojourn, may God help us recapture a vision for church as family as we invite others to do the same, to watch Jesus turn in Portland upside down. So hopefully you guys know that as your brother, I love you. You're my sisters. You're my brothers. And I have a deep, deep sense of relationship with you. Like I said, 2022 was life-giving for me. Because even though I know there's some challenges and there's some burdens, there's some things going on in individuals' lives and families' lives, I got to experience church as family. You know, when, when we're having holidays, our culture celebrates, and I've got many of you sitting at my table at my house. It's like, this, you know, I've just got this, this smile. It just brought me joy. You know, man, we're living this out. When there's needs that we're able to help provide for as a community. So hopefully this was an encouraging message, a reminder. If anything, I would say this. If I was grading, I would say of most churches I know that Sojourn is, is far above and beyond when it comes to capturing or recapturing this vision of church's family. And so today I wanted it to be a reminder. I want to say, where do we get this from? Was it just some idea that Matt came in that sounds kind of cultish and hippie-ish? And, no, it's from the New Testament. It's from Jesus and watching his life as he gathered his early followers and they lived this out. And so I love you, I love this family, and I'm praying that others will join us as we continue on as church, as family. Let me pray for us. God, we come to you, and you are our Father who loved us. You're our Father who sent our brother Jesus to take on our sin, our shame, our guilt, our brokenness. God, our brother who went before us and was took on the punishment that every single one of us deserved who made a way that we could be reconciled and have that good, good Father relationship with you, Father. But God, you don't stop there. You give us your Holy Spirit, but then you go above and beyond that and you say that you, you give us one another. And we get to join this global family known as the church with brothers and sisters literally all over the world. But God, then you also give us a local expression. Got a family who we get to do life with, a family that we get to, to run with and uh, share with and, and take care of one another's burdens love one another, forgive one another, serve our community together. And so God, I thank you for the people of Sojourn Church. God, I thank you for this family. Although we are an imperfect picture of what it means to be church's family, God, I pray that you would continue to mold us and shape us as individuals, but also as a community, as your community. God, as we reflect more of you and as we reflect your community, 
And God, that we would show that to those around us. God, that those in our city would see and take note. God, and that this would spread like a wildfire. God, and it would be something that people are attracted to, that, that people want to become part of because it's something they've never experienced or never seen anywhere else in any other area of life. God, help us to fight against the individualistic, consumeristic culture that, that we live in. And God, that we would be counterintuitive and counterculture when it comes to following you because it's worth it. And God, this is the way that you designed it to be. We love you. In your name we pray. Thank you so much for listening. We'd love to hear how God is working in your life. You can connect with us and find more available teachings and resources at our website, sojournpdx.org.